0: Hey, this is Eric here with Dead Cat. We've got Tom and Katie. We have our friend uh, Rolf Winkler here from the Wall Street Journal. Hey, guys. He's been writing about how everybody is going online to get ADHD medication.
1: I was excited to read your story, Rolf, because one, you really like to dig into... These kind of shady med tech companies. I remember a couple of years back, you you busted this Chicago-based uh, med tech company for basically lying about their finances. I think, right? Am I am they, I recalling they that were, story correctly? They were,
2: yeah. There was had trials next year. They were basically misleading their clients in a pretty big way. And what's that company after called? We wrote it. There, it was called Outcome. Outcome Health doesn't exist anymore
1: yeah bad outcome health
2: yeah it didn't work yet but uh yeah that that they they were misleading a bunch of people and then a month later investors sued him for fraud and three indictments three three guilty pleas and then three uh three felony guilty pleas and then three indictments and that's next year that trial
1: Right, and so and so now you moved over into easy prescription online uh, tech companies. And look, like like I do before I read most Wall Street Journal articles, I snorted a line of Adderall <laughs> before reading this thing. And that he turns bought out off of TikTok, right? Exactly. Turns out it's really easy to get this shit now. So I wasn't, I shouldn't have tried as hard to like dupe all of my PCPs to give it to me. Uh, but why don't you uh, why don't you break down the world of online prescription and how? We people who legitimately have ADHD are being lumped in with the uh, the amphetamine. Tom, do you
2: take ADHD medication?
1: I used to when I was when I was younger. Yeah. In the 90s, I I was on Ritalin.
2: I would say, by the way, up top of discussing this whole story, we're not writing about how Adderall is bad for people who have ADHD. We mentioned I make sure to mention in every story that psychiatrists will tell you for somebody who's properly diagnosed with ADHD. These meds are good. These meds have great outcomes for people. Helps you study. I don't, I, yeah, I, Helps I think. you stay
1: th- up.
0: Great, great if you need to stay at a party all night long. Yeah.
2: Well, see, that's the other element is like, there's a reason that Adderall and other stimulants are scheduled to controlled substances because of their, you know, the risk of abuse. Other scheduled two substances, Oxycontin, cocaine, fentanyl, a lot of things are in that category. So how did you
0: get onto this story?
2: Oh, you know, I was talking to some investors and one of them was saying, man, there are these companies, they're doing controlled substances and they're kind of using this regulatory loophole that's been going on since the pandemic. And I wouldn't touch it with a 10 foot pole. It just it it really gives me the willies, basically. And I thought, oh, that sounds interesting. Which loophole? Well, yeah, this is the key thing. So backing up, the public health emergency for COVID created... Because of that, they created an exception to something called the Ryan Hate Act. Ryan Haight was a guy who got Vicodin online back in 2000 or 2001, and he died. And so they passed a federal law years later, 2008, 2009, saying you can't get a Schedule II controlled med without at least one in-person visit, hmm. which makes telehealth prescribing for ADHD not a thing. And Tom would know this. Like, if you've got ADHD. It can be it has long been a pain in the ass to get your meds. You got to show up with the doctor. Sometimes they make you come in every month. Even now, that's still a thing. So, and for folks that that is tricky, right? They, there's there's hoops people jump through, I think, largely because these are controlled substances, and doctors are just, you know, wary about prescribing them during the pandemic, they relaxed the Ryan Haight Act. So now, you can do controlled substances online. Most telehealth companies don't do this. So I went back and checked for a recent story. We, I can get into why I had to do this, but none of the big general telemedicine companies, none of the big online mental health companies do controlled substances via telehealth. They just they just don't want to touch it, right? And they say on their websites, typically, you're not going to get controlled substances from us, you're going to have to go see your doctor, see somebody in person if that's what you want. but a couple startups. What are their names? We haven't said their names yet. Sure. I, there's, there's a bunch of them that, that are focused on ADHD, but the biggest one here is Cerebral, which started off as general mental health, depression, anxiety, insomnia. And then in 2021, they added ADHD treatment. And they'll do controlled substances for all of the above. Um, they'll do benzodiazepines for, for anxiety, for instance, which is also, again, not common. Teladoc, side note, Teladoc just saw its stock get hammered 40% this week. And on their conference call, one of the things they said is they blamed the fact that they can't compete for users because other companies, you know, hint, hint, nudge, nudge, Cerebral are offering a fuller menu of treatment. Like people, if people want controlled substances, they're not going to get it from us and and our mental health arm. their help. They can get it for Cerebral. And so they'll go that direction. So that's one reason where we are struggling to compete for clients. Sort of just an interesting side note. So there's just some of these companies. Cerebral is one. Dunn uh, their website is donefirst.com, Dun, done d o N E. Dunn is another uh, they're they're ADHD focused pretty much exclusively.
0: That's the one backed by uh, David Sachs's
2: crash. Correct. Avengers. David Sachs, Joe Montana, <laughs> Dave Morin's in it. And then there's a handful of smaller ones. There's something called Clarity ADHD. There was one called Ahead, which was a unit of True Pill, which just got shut down two weeks ago. They put a note on their website saying we're no longer gonna do this. ADHD treatment online. And then there's some other
0: smaller ones. Can I ask a business question up front? Yeah, please. How much money is there really to be made in prescribing Adderall? I mean, they're basically doing the prescription, right? They're not getting a cut of every time you get the drug. Well,
2: the business model for Cerebral is, and for Done, and for these companies, is they charge you a subscription fee. For what they call medication management, Adderall is something that has to get renewed monthly. Oh, so, okay. So there is a, okay. So you show up, you pay them a hundred or maybe one hundred eighty dollars for an initial evaluation, which is thirty minutes. That's a key fact. We should come back to it. Initial evaluation of thirty minutes, and then every month thereafter, if you've been prescribed a medication, you pay them eighty bucks to quote manage that medication, which can mean answer questions. Some companies, notably Cerebral, will often do follow-ups, video follow-ups. Done does not require video follow-ups, but they'll charge you the 80 bucks per month going forward. So, And that's a great business because you're taking the drug. You're in a subscription business. So the goal is retention. Keep them coming around. And, you know, again, side note, the accusation, there was a former executive who, who sued the company yesterday at a labor lawsuit. And in that lawsuit, he said the company did a study of patient retention, found that people on Adderall, were more likely to be retained for people on medications were more likely to be retained when they for, when they had ADHD. So that the direction came down from the CEO, Kyle Robertson, get the prescription rates up. According to the suit, according this is alleged in the suit, correct?
0: The executives a former VP of product, right? Pretty big role. Product and engineering,
2: yep. yeah. And it dovetails with some of some of I, we can obviously not. It, I, I can't say anything. That's what he's alleging, right? Our reporting looked at things like a new policy they have for auditing prescriptions, which the nurse practitioners we spoke to, you know, made them uncomfortable. And I could go into that. And that's sort of how I ended up really going down this path.
0: Yeah. Why don't you just talk about that, right? I mean, this scale, because the operation is basically have nurse practitioners meet over video chat with a bunch of people and then sort of have a doctor approve a bunch of it, or it seemed like, in classic tech fashion, there's a sort of, they're, they're skilled at scaling the amount of prescriptions they can. This
2: is, it's, it's a pretty simple, yeah, the business model is pretty simple. It's, it's charge them 80, 80 bucks to manage the medication, pay the nurses anywhere from, depending on the company, 10 to $25 per month to manage the patient and renew the prescription and reinvest in TikTok and Instagram ads to generate new clients. So that's the business model. And really how I got into it, the investor said, yeah, I wouldn't touch this. And I thought, huh, that's funny. And I went on Glassdoor. And Glassdoor had this anonymous review. It was titled Adderall for All. And it was a quick paragraph that said, basically, you have to be comfortable writing stimulant prescriptions because you will be expected to write a lot of them. And if a patient scores a certain number on one of these kind of very standard. Surveys that you get in as an intake. And if you don't prescribe the medication, if they score a certain number on this, on this test, six questions, if they get at least four or five, then the quality team, quote unquote, will get in touch with you and ask you why you didn't. Oh, and okay. I thought, that's interesting. I wonder if that's true. What's this quality team? What, what's this person talking about? And we went back, and this was our first real story on this topic: was cerebral around kind of around the end of last year started auditing the nurses, right? And nurse practitioners and saying like, look, only 52% of our ADHD patients are on Adderall, which is the first line treatment. And so here are your patients that aren't on Adderall, either put them on a different medication or change their diagnosis code. The nurse practitioners are like, hold on a minute. This is, I, I don't want people at the top of the company, which by the way, the CEOs of these, of, Done its cerebral, have no medical background. I don't want the, the company telling me what I'm going to prescribe. It's my job. It's my license. I'm the one that is supposed to determine how I'm going to be prescribing. So, and by the way, you're only giving me 30 minutes to diagnose a patient. Company says that they don't have to diagnose in the first meeting. The nurse practitioners say they don't know what that means, that they actually they do diagnose in the in the first 30 minutes. For ADHD, Tom, I don't know what you're and uh, your kind of initial diagnosis was like, but I've seen these. They Poor go, Tom oh, is now our test
1: case. I'm, yeah, I'm right? happy to explain. Three,
2: four hours, right? These are these, these. can be really long diagnostic evaluations because you have to do things like roll out anxiety and depression or things that would be treated differently. And Tom, what was your, yeah, tell me, what was your Oh, I,
1: I have all those things. So it's, you know, you don't have to roll anything out. <laughs> no, I mean look, this was this was decades ago, so it's a very different time. I mean, you have to remember this was the mid 90s where ADD and ADHD were very fashionable diagnoses to give to, you know, upper middle class white suburban kids, uh, especially boys. So, my mom is also a psychologist, not a psychiatrist and did not prescribe it to me, but sort of my access to that world of diagnoses and the kind of conversations that people have around it was extremely close to me, uh, so it wasn't that difficult at all. Look, from my perspective, not having covered, you know, the medical world and and you know constr- controlled substances, you know, Adderall is a, a relatively new drug re- relative to Ritalin. Right? I mean, it only really kind of came on the scene as a largely diagnosed medicine in the last two decades or something. I remember first hearing about it when I was in undergrad. Like
3: took over from, it took over the Ritalin market. You don't hear the, about Ritalin anymore, right?
1: right? I mean, it's it, probably because it, it's not as, you know, it's not as strong, doesn't doesn't give you the kick. And, it, you know, for people who have severe ADHD, I'm sure it does have a positive, you know, impact on, on you know, their ability to function. But I mean, we all went to college, like undergrad. I don't know, maybe Katie, you're a little bit older, so maybe it was slightly different. But like, I knew lots of people that were taking Adderall. It wasn't hard to get. <laughs>
3: As somebody who loves controlled substances, I'm going to say that they're not always very hard to get. Yeah. Also, the idea that Adderall was a drug that was being abused, I think predates these companies, but puts these companies into a really interesting social context. So Rolf told me about these stories a little while ago. I had read them and we talked about them and like in the educational realm, Right there was a lot of controversy over how many students were being prescribed Adderall, particularly in elite settings where there was all sorts of pressure to do well, get really good SAT scores, get very high grades, and then get into a really good college. And there were so the prescription for Adderall kind of came as a package because you would get the Adderall prescription and then say you had a disability, and then you would be given, for example, more time on the SAT. And so there are all these ways in which upper middle class people were using both um, medical diagnoses and prescriptions to kind of game an educational system that had become more and more competitive. So there I was took already- my SATs in the time limit. <laughs> <laughs>
0: No, you're well, a chump, we were townies.
3: What the fuck are you talking about? We were never gonna do that. We couldn't have. We went. We were public school townies. We did not. I'm like have my this parents
0: active. failed me. Like it's just
3: not fair. I, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, my parents were also not upper middle class white people. My like, parents
0: could have known better that. Hey, uh, but
3: like, but so like, this is something that had already like the the abusive Adderall was already something that was like kind of like culturally acceptable particularly amongst the market that VCs like to market products to people with expendable cash etc and so then when Rolf and I were talking about this i remembered that i'd been getting all of these ads for these startups on tiktok and i am not I don't think I'm in the demographic. I'm oh, my too God. Old, TikTok is
0: always trying to convince me I have ADHD.
3: Exactly. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's
1: amazing. Let's, let's be real. It's like the longer you spend on there, Every, the more ever, accurate the, the diagnosis first, it, you is. You know, the
0: algorithm, it, it knows at least it figures out that you wonder whether you have ADHD and all of a sudden you're getting a bunch but of But that's new. the
3: thing. Like, I don't even think it's that targeted. I really think they're just spending because I am the last person on this planet who needs an upper. <laughs> well, we need I, speed. What I'm talking Maybe about a organic benzo, con-
0: content, I, like just the discussion around ADHD on TikTok. The and like, thing. I
3: don't, I don't even get, I'm not even in those. If you saw my TikTok feed, I'm not, even, I'm not exposed to any of that. It's like my TikTok feed is very clearly like middle-aged lady cooking stuff, like really random Japanese things. And then like thirst it, trap ADHD, <laughs>
1: Yeah. yeah, well, you, you should like, definitely be getting... You, those sounds like targeted ads for benzos, really. I'm getting content. the
3: wrong stuff. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, Rolf, I mean, to get back to your story, what I find so interesting about, you know, Katie's sort of explanation here and your origins in getting to this story is that it really seems like a kind of perfect storm, cascading series of events, all related to the pandemic. Because in one sense, we have this particular loophole that gets opened up uh, at the beginning of the pandemic there's also the rise of telehealth uh, as kind of the dominant form of medical care or a rising form of medical care. And then there's the advertising through TikTok, which is this huge pandemic winner as people spend all their time at home trying to find some ways to occupy themselves. And it's like, it almost seems inevitable that there are going to be companies out there that recognize the what some, what some would say opportunity and efficiency, others would say exploit, you know, the, the weaknesses in the system to basically find a way to build a big business off of it. Right. Was, I mean, that it just, was
2: the word Teladoc used on their earnings call. What did they exploit? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it just seems, you know, it, you know, what it reminds me of too. I remember a couple of years ago, uh, remember Ease, the, the weed app that everyone is using in San yeah, Francisco. Definitely. Oh
3: yeah. This Fair. was back,
1: before weed was legalized in in California and you would meet with a doctor who would, if you didn't have a prescription in like, I would say 45 seconds, prescribe you marijuana. And I, it was such a joke to me, but of course it was weed. So it was all for a good cause, but like, (laughs) it was just very clear to me that like the ability to prescribe someone over, you know, through telehealth was going to create uh, uh, you know, grease the wheels a lot. To
0: and, and to, get and, and to cor- connect the dots even more, I think Rolf might realize this, David Sachs was a seed investor in Ease as well. So clearly has had oh, this that. insight that uh, tele- telehealth on stuff people really want is a smart strategy. You know,
2: the, the timing, I, I still have to figure out the timing, by the way, because Dunn and Cerebral were both founded in 2019, late 2019. Cerebral launched in 2020. I think Dunn launched in late 2019. So this is before the pandemic. Uh, Cerebral launched. They weren't doing controlled substances when they when they started. And I actually don't know. They started kind of late in 2020. I don't know what Done, which was focused on, which is focused on ADHD. Like what was their plan right at the beginning? I, I haven't yet figured that out. Like what was... Without the public health emergency, without... Is
0: there a sense that the law will get changed back? Or like, do you know what
2: sort of... Is there... You know... What's the procedure? I would be... Yeah, it's... My understanding, and this is not sophisticated enough, is that when the public health emergency ends, this all goes away. Now, I think there may be ways for this particular thing to be extended and... There are reasons why both Democrats and Republicans now kind of don't want the public health emergency to end because there are policies that come with it that they like. Uh, and it's a good excuse for those to continue. So, you know, it just kind of keeps getting extended for, I, I, I use it six week increments. Mm-hmm. So you're right. It's, it, that really is, that really is all part of it. But, but, you know, I, by the way, we should say this kind of near the top. One thing these companies say, is that, look, we're expanding access to mental health treatment and important medications that people don't have access to. That's not wrong. I talked to a lot of people and they say, look, there's a lot of people, particularly in rural areas, who have no access to mental health care, and they can suffer from ADHD too. Right. Are they, but they, can't, they may not have a psychiatrist nearby who's, and, oh, need, and by the way, nor the money to spend on a three-hour, four-hour evaluation that's and you know that's the other thing that's one thing these companies say um and then the question comes down to is is the is the but the, ex, the experts we talk to basically say well you know there needs to be more access that's true and really where they focus on is the 30 minute evaluations they just say you know that's not that's too fast to do a proper diagnosis
0: but there there is a truth that with mental health diagnoses a lot of the direction is being taken by the patient, and if the patient really wants Adderall, I mean, you can just Google what the symptoms are, and you could just
2: say you have which those plenty symptoms. of sources I talked to say they do. right, and, <laughs> yeah. and there's certainly for any provider. By the way, you could do that for any provider, not just an online. And provider.
0: if you're an, an elite, you can just find sort of the psychiatrist who's prescribed your friend's Adderall, and they're, they clear, and they that psychiatrist can sleep easy at night, saying that. Patients know what they want. Like I mean, it's it's mental health drugs are very complicated uh, to prescribe and do largely sort of, in my view, fall to the patients and and deciding like what's appropriate for them because they're describing
2: their own mental state. There's no there's very little data. You know, the DSM five says that check me on this, but you know the latest psychiatry handbook says that ADHD doesn't exist unless you had it before age twelve. The prior version of that of that textbook said it had to be seen prior to age five Hmm. right so you know i'm not a psychiatrist i'm not an expert sure okay but it's just it's a testament to your point that we're working on subjective stuff here not necessarily part D. you know there's no for mental health care there's no blood test you can take that tells you you've got depression and
0: there are the there are very complex like exams you can take I don't really know the detail, but like you, you know, there are groups that have like psychological batteries you can take to see, but are we really, you know, we would never really require that before a psychiatrist prescribes mental health drugs so that you can always say, Oh, there's more you could do. I mean, obviously to me, I can give my opinion. I mean, 30 minutes seems really fast, Uh, controlled substances. Like it's naturally something where you just try to create friction (laughs) and just sort of see like, does somebody seem to want this? Like, do we have human beings who are really spending time with them and thinking about them? Are we truly monitoring? You know, there there are... Pl- Even though you can be sort of cynical that at the end of the day, if somebody really wants Adderall, you don't have to be a genius to figure out how to get it. There's still a value in friction and oversight and human contact and connection.
1: Yeah. Well, it's, it seems to me one of the biggest... Accelerance to this problem, if you want to call it a problem, is the business model, right? The fact that these are venture capital funded companies who are trying to wait, find a way to scale it. And once you realize that there's money, frankly, in prescribing this particular drug uh, and that there's an audience that wants it for one reason or another. I understand even if you want to be responsible, you're still incentivized to do more. And that gets to, you know, the NPs complaining about the fact that they were being reprimanded by their bosses for not prescribing it often enough. Right. It's like, who's really in control here? Is it the need? Is it like the public need for this uh, for altruistic and socially beneficial reasons or is it the business model that says, hey, let's double down on this. You know, we're we're a SaaS product. We found like a great market. Let's figure out a way to maximize the people and the most you know profitable user base within that.
3: addiction is a very good business model. Like ask on the cigarette kinds. companies. The best. Right? Coffee, addiction addiction. addiction companies. <laughs> Yeah,
0: that's <laughs> yeah every so, investor will tell you that
3: I I, I think some of these companies TikTok. Right. I deleted it. It was too I couldn't, like, I, I looked at my stats. There was a day when I had been on TikTok nine hours. I was like, first of all, I, oh I worked God. a nine hour day. I'm, so I'm
1: deleting it right fuck? now. This is Anyway, reminder. it was horrifying. But uh, changes from week to week.
3: These companies also really remind me of some of the early crypto businesses and Bitcoin businesses. And it, what do I mean, early, like the current uh, cryptocurrency businesses, because they're working in a gray, area around regulation. So you're seeing right now, as the federal government wants to expand the definition of what an exchange is, it's it's expanding it so much that it would inevitably sweep up all of these cryptocurrency exchanges that had not been regulated. And they're fighting it because once that happens, the cost of doing business will go up. They will have to put in all of these regulatory pieces. They'll have to hire general counsels, blah, 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 blah. And then they will not be as profitable. Well, they'll probably still make money, but they won't make the kind of money that made them good VC investments. And so you're seeing this like big lobbying push around it. And similarly with these companies, I wonder, one... Our pharma companies work. You know, how do the pharma companies feel about these startups? Because if they like them, these startups will have an enormous lobbying operation at their fingertips. And then, two, you know, have we seen any sorts of of work by these companies to keep this area unregulated or lightly regulated?
1: Yeah, I don't know. And, and the other question for you, Rolf, as you were talking to, you know, f- former, maybe some current employees of these companies, especially the, the, the medical professionals, are, are these side jobs for them? Are they full-time employees for it? Or is this kind of that particular? Typically contractors. To, they're contractors. Yeah. And they often I know- work
2: for more than one. They often, they're often doing this for, for more than one platform. And they're, it's, it's often they have a day job. And yeah. This is a kind of a side gig. They're, doing, tell, they're picking up telehealth appointments in the side.
1: Yeah. I've noticed a rising trend of that and that seems to also be ripe for these kinds of problems because if this is basically a pitch to them saying, "Hey, do you want to make more money? Why don't you spend a couple hours during the week uh quickly, pres- you know, meeting with people and prescribing stuff to them." And of course, doctors will say and rightfully so that, you know, they're they they care about the seriousness of their profession and and the integrity of their license, but you know, there's just certain financial incentives uh, to working extra hours. One
2: anecdote that was on the financial incentives that I think, uh, I I know that for reader reactions that got some of the the biggest reactions, we spoke to one done nurse practitioner and she shared how it works. And she said, you know, she's got 2,300 patients, all ADHD, all getting Adderall, substantially all. I'm sure there's a handful that aren't, but she said substantially all and she renews them every month and she doesn't see all of them every month. Uh, Basically, they send in a form that says, and sometimes they leave it blank. She says, if it's blank, that means you're good to go. You're stable. That's great. And she renews them. And she said she renews the prescription sometimes as fast as two a minute. And it works out because the way Dunn pays its nurse practitioners, you don't have to see them for the follow-up. You just get paid a percentage of your hourly rate to manage them on a monthly basis. And that works out to depending on your hourly rate, somewhere between 7 and $10. And I did the math with her and I said, okay, 2,300 patients, eight, nine bucks per month, you're clearing 20K. She said, yeah, yeah, $20,000 $20, a month. It's it's great. I make better, I make more than, than a lot of doctors. So, you know, yeah, the financial incentive for nurses on that platform, nurse practitioners on that platform is kind of what you said. It's, 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 it's just to, to renew quickly. Now I will be. Let's. I want to. You know, say that she certainly said she feels she's doing great stuff. She gets a lot of really caring emails from people who say this is changing their life. This is helping them do better at work. This is helping them in their relationships. So, you know, I can't. I. I I can't dispute that. You know, there are probably a lot of people that say this is great and she's helping them. So, you know, it's up to readers to judge. Right. I mean, first of all, the traditional
0: medical system is not great or always attentive and. You can talk about the the speed of which telehealth can be delivered here can seem troubling. But the sort of slowness and lack of access, the traditional, you know, if you need this drug and you can't even get sort of uh, the medical system's attention, you know, that that's its own problem.
1: But also just it speaks to me like and maybe this is just the mindset of what I cover, but like the gigification of the healthcare system. Right. That this this model, which has proved so popular to venture capitalists is going to be attempted in almost every single industry that it would allow for. And we've clearly seen it come in into, you know, the, the medical world. And, you know, it, it's not the dominant form by any means. You know, this is still kind of like a burgeoning startup kind of industry, but we've seen what happens with gigification.
2: That's actually a really important point, Tom, because one of the things the nurse practitioners told me, they said, look, I get, I have a, a, a readout, an employee, kind of feedback readout to tell me how well I'm doing. And I get reviews from my patients from one to five and then comments to tell me how I'm doing. And she said, you know what? I'm not an Uber driver. I'm supposed to be able to say no to people if I don't think they're, if I think they're here seeking medication that is inappropriate. And of course, those are the people that give me a one. <laughs> right,
0: right.
1: of, yeah, course. of course. Right. She yeah. sucks.
2: Yeah. That, that is a very
0: troubling fact. I'm yeah. supposed to be able to right. say no.
2: Right. I'm, I, it's, you know, with, with other customer service businesses, the customer's always right. Do what the customer wants. You know, it makes sense. Um, here in medicine, we ask prescribers, nurse practitioners and doctors, we give them a special responsibility to be able to say, in my professional judgment, this is what you got. You don't have this. You think you have it. I don't think so.
1: Right. Yeah. And I mean, uh, we can get as political, I guess, as we want here. But like, obviously, this is the inevitability of a for-profit healthcare system. <laughs> like, this is, you know, people who are making money that you know the in the doctor's standpoint, they realize they could make more money by by doing extra work on the side and this is a system that is allowing for a huge amount of people that are unattended for uh that are unserved finding an outlet in which they can be served now again, like you're saying, most people are using it legitimately, and most people do really need these drugs but again it, the system allows for all kinds, not just the I, I who feel need like it.
0: there's a view of this where i mean it exposes regulatory distortions right obviously if Adderall wasn't regulated there wouldn't be this workaround to get people to to get people access to the approvers who they need right i mean the reason these nurse practitioners are able to make so much money is because they've basically been given a special power to dispense something that people want so there is do not follow this. Or I mean, I don't really follow the
3: argument because, like, you could make the same argument with the pill mill doctors and opioids, right? Like, right. they made a lot of right. money Certainly. because they had Certainly. this special power, right. But that doesn't mean that the power should be exploited, or right. and
2: to be clear, that that the person I I mentioned, the one nurse who has twenty three hundred patients, that's an outlier. Most right. most of the people we spoke to, current and former, you know, that I heard patient counts between two hundred and and four hundred to five hundred was was really. The higher, the higher bar. There are some definitely we've heard of and reported out that have more than that. But I only say that because I, the thing about a lot of these nurse practitioners, they aren't actually cleaning up. They aren't actually making a ton of money. So for instance, the cerebral ones, they get frustrated because they have a half hour appointment to diagnose people. They get paid for a half hour appointment. They don't get paid to do documentation and administrative stuff outside of that time. So a lot of times they can't necessarily, hey, I'm on a Zoom with you But I'm I'm typing because I got to take notes because that's the time I'm getting paid for. And by the way, we've got patients back to back to back to back, so so they don't actually make a ton of money. And a lot of them they cycle through very very quickly. There's a lot of there's a lot of turnover with a lot of the nurses. Some other like some others like the gig uh, and really want to stick around. Have been doing it for a long time. Have built big patient panels. Others you know, they cycle through pretty quickly because they're either not making enough money or they just kind of don't like the
1: arrangement. I mean, that's, that sounds, sounds like, like Uber, yeah. Yeah, I was about to say, it's another gig, you know, dynamic. Uh, turn through a lot of people. It's a way for people to make money on the side. It shouldn't be your full-time job. but The companies don't optimize for it to be your full-time job.
3: There are some jobs where I, I do want it to be the person's full-time job. Like I, I really do want my healthcare provider who's seeing me, who might give me a powerful drug, for it to be their full-time job, or at least the thing right. that they can at least give their the, full-time attention to. The interesting,
2: to. of course, you know, if I'm playing devil's advocate here, and if you want to increase access, and I'm the companies and and I believe in that mission, you say to yourself, you know what, guys, you're right. We'd love to give everybody two hours, three hours, give everybody, we can't, the people who don't have access to this and typically can't afford it, they're not going to pay us what it would take, what, would, what it would cost us to pay a nurse practitioner to give you three hours of their time. And then to see you every month, this is what you can afford. So this is what you're going to get. This is the mental health care you can afford and will get kind of thing, which, which is not, I'm not saying that in a way that, that I mean, pejoratively, I, I mean, this is the economics to, to, I forget which one of you said, this is the economics of a, a, a for-profit health system. Exactly.
3: Exactly. Exactly. It's like everybody gets what they we can, can all afford. raise our hands and, and shake our head and say, oh my God,
2: they're not getting the best care. They should have more care. I think about this when I report this and you say, well,
3: Sure, I'd love to give him more care, but who's going to pay for that? I mean, this is a friend of mine when she had a baby in in New York City, which if you want to see the for-profit healthcare system at work, that's the best place on the planet. You know, she gave birth, I think it was NYU. So she's an upper middle class person. So she gave birth in a room that had lots of other women, but they all had like a curtain and some sense of privacy And if you have more money, you get your own suite with like really nice amenities and places to sleep for guests. And if you don't have any money, you're in a you're in a basically a corral.
1: Yeah. Can I propose something? And I'm kind of amazed that no VC has thought about this. But to me, it seems like the solution to all of this, which is. Why isn't it that my Uber driver can prescribe me mental health <laughs> medication? I mean, it would seem Damn. like, look, yeah, look, if I'm in the car for 15, 20, 30 minutes.
3: And absolutely aggravated. Yeah. As you're you often. the driver, you're probably at
1: your most unfocused, your most mentally unwell when you're, you know, in, a, in one of these cars, you know, rushing off to the airport or something like that. No one better than your Uber driver to probably prescribe well, these things.
0: I've, I've certainly heard of Uber drivers selling people marijuana. So, yeah, there's certainly a question. So what's like, a benzo? Why, right, yeah. <laughs> why, why is Uber failing to extract its cut here? You know, not yeah, very Dara, good. you're building the super app.
1: Like, <laughs> it's not about just delivering the drugs. It's about prescribing them. I'm disappointed right. no one's done that. So uh, one kind of other turn to this in a story you wrote, Rolf, is that it sounds like some of the big pharmacies are pushing back on some of these prescriptions, right? Like CVS and... Was it maybe Rite Aid or Walgreens have declined to fill some of the prescriptions from Walmart. some of the startups? Walmart. Yeah, this is this is kind
2: of an interesting wrinkle. We had heard from sources that they would have problems with pharmacies, often individual locations. Dunn had a particular problem with Walmart specifically seemed to be blocking a number of their prescribers from filling prescriptions. So at one point they just stopped sending prescriptions to Walmart and Walmart confirmed on the record that they blocked some some prescribers for Dunn uh, and Dunn has a Basically appeal that, and no decision has been made to to unblock.
0: The pharmacies are well, big, big corporates just wielding. Well, their... it makes sense
3: because they just got. Think about how much money they just had to pay in all these opioid settlements because they were the Dis- subscribing no, no, no. Made, pharmacies, and they got. They were sued. They have lost a lot of money. If I were if I were a pharmacy, I'd be like extremely cautious right now because. Right. They went into the opioid crisis thinking it's just some, op- <laughs> it's just, it's just prescriptions. Right. It's just breakthrough pain. What it's else just, could it- it's just the yeah. early nineties and we're just making people feel better. But, but it is, mm. it is
0: interesting that we have these huge companies that can act as sort of mini governments, you know, saying, no, you're, you're not allowed to do this. Right. Exactly. Like leave it to Walmart. <laughs> it's not, well, <laughs> to you know ensure. what though?
2: You know what though? It's, it's simpler than that. It's not necessarily the companies. It's the pharmacist, the pharmacists themselves at the local level. This is hmm. what make, makes this story interesting to report, the companies, will the, the companies, the ADHD prescribers, the sources will say, yeah, we had issues with pharmacies and you call the pharmacies and they sometimes say, yeah, we believe it, but we may not see it because the pharmacist at the local level, it's their corresponding responsibility to vet the prescription and decide, hmm. is this somebody we want to prescribe to? Because for instance, they could check the, the prescription drug monitoring database to see if the patient got this. Prescription for a controlled substance elsewhere, and now they're coming to you for the same thing. Hmm. They may be drug shopping. This all the, these databases, uh, you know. So that's one thing. Is the pharmacists at the at the local level sometimes and and sometimes stop this? And so the ADHD company will see that, like we're not getting filled over here. Let's figure out how to fill this. Hmm. And by the way, there's obviously a, a lot of other administrative reasons things don't get filled for sure, like insurance doesn't cover it or they're out of stock. That 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 also happens. But uh, there's this other thing. It just gets to Katie's point about in the wake of the opioid crisis, they created these basically central compliance groups, the pharmacies did, to monitor their own networks of of pharmacies to see what prescriptions are coming in, to see are there prescribers who have a suspiciously high volume of something that we need to be careful about, controlled substances specifically, right? And Walmart, that controlled that. So it did get to the central group at Walmart. It wasn't just the individual prescribers. The central group is the one that is blocking some done prescribers because they they saw stuff come in that they were clearly uncomfortable with, and they made they made that choice. So that is that is an interesting kind of other piece of this. Is yeah, the, the pharmacies are you know they just want to get a handle on controlled substances. and all is one, and so they're treading carefully.
3: They're they're and keep they're, in mind one of Keep the reasons why they had legal liability with the opioid issue is because they had people who worked in their networks who flagged prescri- who flagged prescriptions and pharmacists who were ignored so that is yeah. one of the reasons why these big pharmacies even had like legal exposure in the first Mm -hmm. place. So it's not that this is new that now they're flagging and noticing with Adderall. What it is, is they were also flagging and noticing with opioids and just not paying attention to it. So they're just paying attention to it now.
2: And one other interesting wrinkle is that the companies, the pharmacies can't see typically that a prescription is coming from Cerebral or Done. They see a prescriber's Hmm. information. Yes. They see the patient's information. With Cerebral, we reviewed, you know, we reviewed we reviewed one prescription that was sent over and they confirmed this, that basically, you know, there's a support phone number that is common that if they called that number, it would be a cerebral customer service representative. So if the pharmacist had a question about the prescription, they could call the number, then they'd see that it's coming from cerebral telehealth provider, but that's not something that's readily apparent when the prescription comes in through the system. So, you know, the Dunt people were wondering how does, how does, Walmart, no, it's coming from us. That was something a source shared hmm. with us. And their guess was the support phone number was common to a few different people. Hmm. And so maybe they were drawing, drawing a connection there. But yeah, that's so that, that also complicates things for the pharmacies. Anyway, a side note too, those databases that they have to monitor prescribers they Don't share information.
3: But I mean between whom so
2: CVS only sees what's happening oh in CVS network. That's, that's yes. Walmart only sees what's happening in Walmart's network. So whereas with the prescription drug monitoring databases for patients, that if you get Adderall, if you get an Adderall prescription or a benzo, that goes on to your readout. Hmm. Every pharmacist in it, it's 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 there by state. So everything you got in a state is there, whether you got it at Walgreens, CVS, a local farm, some other independent pharmacy. All of them can see that data. But Doesn't these databases- remind you
3: so much of Archegos, how like they were able to, how the banks, because they didn't share information on swaps, they're only sharing centralized information on loans and collateral that created this huge blind spot. Like that's so crazy.
1: Yeah. I mean, this is also assuming that there is an incentive on the part of the individual pharmacies to try to root this out, right? Like even the decision to call up these support numbers to find out what the fuck is going on here. That's coming from the individual impulse on the pharmacist to be like, "This is a little weird to me. I should find out." Which, if you are overworked, maybe you are working as a pharmacist as a part-time job is another thing. You again may not be incentivized to to look into it. Like the system is not pushing for this. It's Tom. Are you some sort of socialist? <laughs> I'm just saying it's the it's, it's the system we live in. Do you
3: hate capitalism?
1: I Well, I mean, again, it, it, it got me my Ritalin when I was, you know, 11. So uh, it's, it's worked for me. I made friends through that, you know? It's like you go to the bathroom and you give out your extra Ritalin to people. If you're not readily making friends, like, you got to find something. Being the Ritalin kid is a way to do it.
0: As one of the more capitalists among us, I mean, I do think uh, maintaining norms in the healthcare system is essential for what it does. And sort of the telemedicine system goes against that in certain ways because it abstracts. I mean, the whole gig economy system abstracts sort of labor from the person getting the good. So I I certainly agree that's troubling here. And I'm also always the one defending sort of the venture capital model and sort of rolling my eyes at like, who cares if they, you know, blow up, like if it's some random software company or whatever. I do certainly agree that here, it's just a case where like, is that much lost? for humanity, if this grew slowly, <laughs> you know, it's just right. sort of like, it's, it's an like interesting Theranos. idea. Like
3: there's something real at stake Why, why not just grow
0: it slowly yeah. and like see yeah. if it, if it's better or not. But like the idea that it's blitz scaling, it seems like wholly unnecessary from a society perspective. The po- the potential positives of delivering Adderall to people who would not be able to get it just don't in any way seem to overwhelm the potential negatives. And so it just seems like an obvious business where slow growth seems
1: far more appropriate. Tell that to David Sachs, Eric. Um, but there's
0: certainly money to be made in moving into areas where other people's sin clauses might block them, and where there's regulatory arbitrage and points of inflection and riding you know. Is this going
1: to affect all the uh, all the dick pill companies that that came on the scene the last couple of years? <laughs> I guess. I guess I'm, they predate. They predate. Yeah, something the, tells uh, me nothing's going to yeah. stop the march
3: of the dick pill company. Do you think,
2: Tom? Do you think the U.S. Congress would make or the DEA would make those pills controlled substances? I mean-
1: I think the
3: reliance. Last I checked, checked they <laughs> still our meal. Yeah, <laughs> no mean, goddamn way. They're going to take their dick pills away from Congress. Congressional
1: reliance on dick pills is probably equal to those of controlled substances. So, I would say, you know, as long as they can keep the flow of spice going for both, they're probably they're probably okay individually. But uh, yeah, I, I don't suppose hymns uh, is going to be wrapped up in any sort of crusading congressperson's desire to to regulate these companies but you never know
0: can I ask a very basic question and Rolf we can cut this if you don't know you're not a doctor but like what is if somebody gets Adderall and they're not like they don't have ADHD like what what is the crisis or like they're, they're well, like, it's addictive. It's addictive. Yeah, but, it's like
3: doing blow.
0: And so that's just gonna deteriorate their health over time. Or like what they, they have like heart problems, or like what what is the problem? Like
3: so there, yes,
2: so there are side effects that can include uh, heart related issues, uh, cardiovascular issues. That's something we've reported. So, you know, you wanna check. This is another challenge with telehealth, is sometimes certainly for older people. People who get diagnosed with ADHD, which happens, you want to get a blood pressure cuff on them. You want to check their blood pressure because you don't want to necessarily give them a stimulant if they've got a blood pressure issue. Uh, that's not something you can do over telehealth. So, like, yeah, there there are those side effects. I think you're right. You should talk to a doctor for for more of it. Some of the readers that have come to us and after our stories have said, you know, look, I I got myself addicted to stimulants and. It became a problem for me. Uh, Others have said, you know, sometimes stimulants lead them to other kinds of uppers, other kinds of drugs. But that's not, you know, how many of the kids you went to college who pop in Adderall, this predates me too, really. Are they all having serious problems? No.
3: Probably not. No, they're all
1: they're all investors. They're all in Wall Street. We well, there, there is this interesting question. Well, I feel like.
3: I mean, like I, mean, I knew a lot of people who did a lot of cocaine. and right. Not and I'm. We're all in our 40s and 50s now, and they're not all right. coke addicts. Well, but just, a lot of them I, got pretty fucked up.
0: I bring that up so we don't all accidentally become like drug scolds. It's funny. I feel like we're all. Or I won't speak for I'm pro, you know, recreational drugs, but then you know you hear like, oh, the prescribed. Drugs and all of a sudden it's like oh that <laughs> that needs to be done the
3: right way. I also think we why are we why are we making this false like barrier between like like recreational and prescription drugs. Prescription drugs are recreational drugs,
1: right? And we should also state out. I mean, not, that. I mean that's,
3: that's not what they're for, but they're all. I'm just saying prescription drugs. And prescription right. veterinary veterinary drugs are not uncommonly used as recreational drugs. Right,
1: right. And, and, and we don't want to come off as like you're saying on, on drug scolds and, and deciding which drugs you know are, are acceptable socially and not. I do think it is Deadcat's stated platform that we are anti-whippets <laughs> on this program. That's and not
0: true. In- I'm just not comfortable inhaling things. Like I, if I find it strange.
1: Whatever, guys. Oh wow, we'll, we'll have to take this up in our next uh, in our next meeting because uh, <laughs> I, I thought we you were in agreement on this. Either
0: way, I didn't think we've never discussed this, have we? Like,
1: I I think if the, this show stands for anything, it should be. I anti- used to
3: work in a lot of restaurants, so like you know, it's just like some things
1: happen. Well, well, well. But I do I do think in the
0: Adderall criticism, there is this like the medical system still has this assumption. That, like, the baseline human psychology is, like, preferable. Like, you know, we're not in this, like, world where people are like, oh, yeah, like, limitless is good. But it's not clear, like, long term whether we could decide that, like, every human being is better, like, with some, like, pharmacological adjustment.
1: Whatever happened to bath salts? Do Do you want to live
0: in that world? Yeah, I mean, if it's better, if it, I mean, that, that's I. I. It stood out to be in your story. Uh, what a part of what I'm responding to is. It's like, oh, people can get high off Adderall. It's like, oh man, they experience like euphoria that they wouldn't have otherwise. Like this is like terrible. You know, I that that that's sort of the impulse that I don't quite get. Like, isn't it good that people get extraneous euphoria if if there weren't other negative consequences just like what is the issue with people getting more euphoria
3: than they would have otherwise i don't i don't have a problem just, with that but it's just what it's like the problem with all drugs that's all that's like sometimes they're very very addictive and people right. can't become unaddicted to them i'm sure right. there are people out there who've like done heroin and didn't end up complete addicts
1: right 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 i mean it's you know there's there's the local news problem of of drugs it's like the old bill hicks you know routine about like you never see a news story about someone who took acid and had expanded consciousness and like understood the world in a slightly more interesting way it's always Mm -hmm. some like dipshit who jumped off of a roof that becomes the story but
2: then michael Pollan writes a great book about it though
3: yes it is good
1: yeah I
2: said I haven't read it. Is it good? I I got to read it. Is it good? It's, book?
3: Good. it's like it's, Did you like the New Yorker essay version?
2: I haven't read that either. Oh, I, just, okay. I made that reference trying to sound smart and, and completely
1: <laughs> That's
0: good. Does did that make me a good, good podcast book, guest? Like.
1: <laughs> no, you, Michael. Look, I, yeah, no. You, you've you've you you you've nailed our audience. It's people who want to sound smart by claiming they've read books. That's uh,
3: well. Tom has never claimed that. He won't even read the fucking things we're talking about.
1: So <laughs> right. I've read the covers of a lot of books, and I feel like I got the vibe. <laughs> uh, in our last few minutes here, do you want to talk briefly about Elon?
3: Does anybody have a new thought on Elon? I've probably read eighty thousand words on Elon Musk in the last. Maybe he week. won't do it. Woo! My, I love my the takes that like, are like, we... "This
2: is all. This is all not going to happen. He's actually going to bail on it." I don't think so, but it's possible. I love those takes. I don't. He's already sold a lot of Twitter stock in order to do that, so Tesla, probably yeah. not.
0: Scott Galloway, who. Does not get much mind share in my brain, but he had predicted incorrectly that you know Elon would would you know the acquisition wouldn't happen you know i that was my inclination too, but now he's like doubling down saying that this isn't gonna happen it's like it's putting like you know good money after bad
1: just so especially you know, since that you know almost everyone was wrong about this right and every step along the process the idea uh, that like, uh, I, I said was Katie, happen, You did. Katie. I Katie. was like Katie's that's
3: correct. 100% happening no yeah. fucking private equity saviors coming in this thing company's a piece of dog shit only Elon Musk is going to take it and this is stronger yes.
0: than I heard but you did <laughs> you did come down on I, the I
3: did say that about private equity <laughs> and I did say that Twitter was a dog shit it, company. It, it is definitely you
1: know uh, you said Elon you thought he was going to buy it so I you you could stand behind that pretty strongly yep, yep. Here, here's my here's my one take and this is extremely insidery but i guess this is the right That's, venue for that this venue
0: for this yeah the last 50 minutes or whatever, we're out of dead cat. Yeah. Anyway. go ahead. Yeah.
1: I am really fucking tired of journalists who are tweeting out, you know, they're 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 like, oh, I'm on the hell site beat for MTV news or something. I can tell you what Twitter is going to look like under Elon Musk. And let me do a whole thread about what this is going to be like, because I spend my time, you know, DMing people who have I you know, av- and I understand the true hell of what the internet can be. It's like, you don't fucking know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just because you spent a whole bunch of time on 8chan and, and feel like you have a better read on like, you know, the new form of Nazis that are out there that you have like a read on what's going to happen here. Nobody knows. Nobody has any clue. And so I'm I'm tired of you claiming expertise here. We're all in this together. Was that insider enough?
0: Reporters making predictions as has actually long been Katie's stance. Reporters making presi- Predictions is just like a dangerous strategy. Don't do it. We already come off as know-it-alls. We're bad at making predictions. Like, I mean, that's, I do think with the Elon thing, you know, reporters are used to traditional fight M&A, right? And so if you looked at it by traditional M&A standards, it looked like it was never going to happen. But the whole thing about Elon is that he doesn't do It looked anything. like
3: it wouldn't happen for a normal investor, i.e. Right, exactly. a private equity investor. Right, right. But for Elon, it looked right. like something pretty
0: good. Right. From right. the Elon frame, you should have been, does Elon tend to succeed on... Things that nobody believed in, yes. So maybe well, he's going or to Or does not life. give
3: a shit when he doesn't succeed. Or just, well, does the thinking,
0: richest person in the world generally right, get what they want. Right, yes, right. Yes. I know
1: that was like that was the mistake that we all made. We were just like, oh, where are you gonna get the money, Elon? Literally the richest person in the world. Like, how are you gonna come up with the money?
3: Mm, my pockets and the deep pockets of my two friends. Right. <laughs> Keep just in like, mind, I never thought the money was a barrier.
1: Right, yeah. but that was the thing for a while. It's like, and having I said observed, it too. Having absurd like, wealth. How is he going to get the well, money? Well, sold a bunch of
0: Tesla shares, and the stock's up. La- before we started recording, the stock was up. So it's classic,
2: like, you think, well, but oh... It, it's still way down since this Twitter thing was announced. It, yes, but it's
3: but as of the actual
0: selling... He's getting a bargain. It's up.
2: He's
3: right. He's getting a deal. Unless you think the actual eventual price is going to be zero. But, you know, otherwise, oh, yeah, he's well, getting no, a deal. But
0: that's, <laughs> the, that's the other frame we should have said. He... Surely, should try to diversify away from Tesla. And this is the best excuse anybody could ever come up with to sell some Tesla
1: shares. It's to use that money to invest in a financially ruinous decision. Right. <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> and just, come, I'm going to say you, that
3: I'm really happy that the, oh, like, I very rarely make predictions, but the two that I've made that I was right on. One Donald Trump becoming president. Two Elon Musk buying Twitter. Woo!
1: I mean, there's a certain there's a certain connection here that you seem to have tapped into, which is the dumbest possible outcome.
0: Well, isn't that Elon's thing? The the funnest outcome will be the true one, or whatever. I don't yeah. know if
1: that's whether it's Elon specifically, but it clearly I, I think Elon it. has tweeted something like that.
0: Rolf, give us an Elon take. Give we've heard all our takes before. What's you. my Elon
2: take? Oh God, um, you know it's. It's funny to me all of the people along the way who've been doubters of Elon, the short sellers in Tesla, for instance. I think a lot of people are still suing him over funding secured because you know they lost money on that, and, and meanwhile the stock is up how oh, much since then? I, you know, everybody thought that compensation package he got was just nutty and crazy, and it's never going to amount to anything, and it made him the richest person in the world. <laughs> right? Fed actually raises rates substantially; could all end. Yeah. The Fed actually went to like 5% or something. I want to see what high beta stocks like Tesla do in that world. Right. I
3: feel like I went to the heart of hurt on the street. Like, I feel like we were just transported into <laughs> like, into like the essence of hurt on the street distilled. And it was very, it was very wonderful. Hey, hurt on the street was very
2: negative on Tesla for a long time because no cash flow and this valuation doesn't make sense. And this is all right. crazy, but you know, and the other thing I will say, Elon, I mean, he's, been angry at me before. I when I got my Neuroleague scoop and you know, he threatened. I'm never gonna talk to you again, Rolf. If you write this story, you he, have never talked to me once, Elon. Right. So I, don't know what that means. <laughs> I know that's
0: classic. That's
2: <laughs> yeah, this Jared Burschall guy that was he was kind of seeing his name was helpful to landing that scoop. He's all he's all of a sudden getting written about. But uh y- you know, say what you he's an, in a lot of ways an unpleasant dude, but You know what people say? Oh, he's a fraud. He's this. He's that. But you know what? Look at the cars on the road. Look at the rockets that land themselves. And think about strategically. Just speaking as an American for a minute, I like the idea that there's an American car company that is leading the EV, leading the show in EVs. I like that we are no longer hostage to Arian Space and the Soyuz rocket to get to space. It's nice that we have. An American company that actually makes us competitive there, it would be really great if we had a lot of other American companies that built their own stuff. You know, I don't know for all the all the reasons that yeah. get somebody like Trump elected, right? Right? Or get or draw the same reasons that draw a lot of support to somebody like Bernie. So Farhad in the New York Times just wrote a positive Elon. Um, I I didn't yeah. read Farhad's take, but you know, on the one hand, yeah, he's a super in a lot of ways, he's a super unpleasant dude, but you know. He built rockets that that land themselves. He, you know, has convinced everyone that EVs were going to be a right. thing. And guess what? EVs are a thing. It's it's good. That's a, these are good things. I do think there's like
0: an anti-scold mood. Like I, I mean, I, clearly I'm on board with being more positive. It'll be interesting to see if I don't know.
1: We've we been positive on Elon uh, as the owner of Twitter. I don't for know almost the Entire time. I don't know about that. About you know, twi- you know I, I, you if know, he just Twitter, stops
0: but, talking about moderation, I mean. I, it makes sense tactically for Elon to cozy up to the far right, you know, especially if he ever sells this fucking truck, you know, that's like the customer base for his Cybertruck. And and clearly, if you were like, oh, an EV CEO, like who's their natural fan base? It would be the libs. So there's a certain like go against type and and keep everybody in the fold. But I feel like he's, he's sort of going above and beyond. It, it's starting to seem a little too sincere. He keeps engaging with like, Terrible people on right wing Twitter and I keep sort of naively hoping he's gonna like rein it back.
1: Trust the plan, Eric. Trust the <laughs> plan. That's all we can do. All right, thanks for joining Rolf. This was great. Hey, thanks for having me. Goodbye. Goodbye.
3: Silicon Valley.
1: Goodbye. 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 Goodbye.